1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: Here in the northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as a February room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite developments, fly rods, and fishing accessories. Tech. Precision. Ingenuity. Legacy. Go to cdfishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Here's your host, Lauren Carnop, and this is The February Room.
2: Welcome to The February Room. Today, my guest is a close friend of mine, um, Michael Gibson, who is also the Idaho Field Coordinator for Trout Unlimited. Thank you so much for joining me today.
3: Thanks, Lauren. uh, When you called and invited me, the first thought I had is she must have had somebody cancel. (laughs)
2: that is so not true you know i was just kind of waiting i i needed to up my uh audience to make sure that everyone could hear your stories and i'm ready to hear a fishing story because i know you have some
3: yeah i have a lot of fishing stories um some of the probably more interesting ones involve your husband
2: they all do (laughs) they always do uh so
3: i'll think i'll tell one with justin in it uh we uh uh, it was actually my first foray into steelheading. I had done a little bit of steelheading just by chance, but it was the first targeted trip for steelhead. And we, uh, we, uh, lit out of Missoula for the Deschutes and, uh, rendezvoused with a couple of, uh, Justin's old buddies that he, that he, uh, steelheaded with on the Deschutes for years. And, um, we, uh, we left after work on a Friday on a three-day weekend. You know, the drive from Missoula to Maupin is, I don't know, six hours or something. And so we rolled in to Maupin at about 11 o'clock. And the, the guys we were going with, they had been at the bar since about 7. <laughs> and so we, we jumped out of Maupin and went to the put-in um probably got there at about one and uh so then there was a long discussion of whether we should set up tents and get up fresh in the morning and it was decided that if we did that we would probably get beat down the river by two or three uh parties so we uh we decided to just launch and so we we scrambled around the dark everybody in headlamps Got everything loaded up. By that time, it was about 4 a.m., so we were like, well, we can either sit around here and wait to get a little bit of light in the sky, or, again, we can just get going. So we were not making great decisions that night, so we just decided to float. And I remember getting about not very far downstream, maybe a half a mile, and you could see with our headlamps that we were coming up on an island. And and uh, Justin was no, was Justin rowing my boat? I think Mike was rowing our boat. <laughs> he hadn't been on that section in years, and and so he's yelling back to to the other boats of whether to take the left channel or the right channel at the island. And all that they would yell back to us is, "Yeah, that's the island." <laughs> So we um we floated a little further, and Mike pulled over and I was with uh was over there that weekend too so he kicked us out of the boat and we started we started fishing this run uh fished it for about an hour came walking back to the boat and he was was asleep in the cockpit. <laughs> And we're like, yeah, we're done. Let's go somewhere else. And he just, he, he lifted his head up and he said, fish it again. <laughs> Sleep. So we fished it again. Didn't catch anything. So anyway, we, we moved downstream and uh, had a great camp that weekend. Um, we did mop into the mouth and uh, basically just floated into camp and then fished out of camp until we had to float out. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't catch a lot of fish, but man, it was a, it was a good time. And then we got off the river and, uh, I was, I was headed back to town, but these guys went, we hit, uh, another part of the story is (laughs) brought an ape suit for the weekend. (laughs) Of course. Uh, uh, There was always somebody fishing in an ape suit or an ape mask. And, um, so I, I had to get back. To go to work, so I headed back to town. Well, they went to a bar and moppin and at some point, went back out to his car and put on the ape suit and went back into the bar. There was some kid there that had had been uh, had been drinking, and he was messing with, and you know, is a retired hockey player. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> he was. He kept coming over and touching him, and and. Finally said, "Listen, buddy, don't touch the monkey." <laughs> and the guy did it again, and all hell broke loose. I guess I wasn't there. But oh no! We <laughs> are not allowed in that bar and mopping for the rest. Of the- <laughs> I thought this—the is the family fishing story you're looking for. That one's sort of on the non-family side.
2: I feel like the non-family side is sometimes the most interesting fishing story. So, no, I love it. But you have to think, though, those people in mopping would probably be like, put on your monkey suit before you come in this bar. Let's see if you are who we think you are. Yeah,
3: exactly. If you told me not to touch the monkey, I would not touch the monkey.
2: No, I love that. <laughs> and but no, no steelhead were caught.
3: Um, I had one on for about five minutes, and it came unbuttoned. uh i think i think justin i think justin caught a couple but that you know that's a steelhead trip for you
2: oh well it's a memorable one of course it's the most memorable one than the one that you caught
3: well Um, the the steelhead a lot of the steelhead stories are all about what happens in camp right there's there's not always a lot of fish caught
2: Sometimes I think it's not about the fishing more than just being on the river with friends.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right?
2: So you have the title as Idaho Field Coordinator for Trout Unlimited. Can you give a little description of what that job title entails?
3: Yeah, well, I work for our, um, it's called the Angler Conservation Project. Um, So we decided um, back in the early 2000s, you know, Trout Unlimited has always been sort of a uh, a rock rolling organization as far as, you know, we do a lot of habitat work. And, um, and then we had uh, a government affairs team that did a lot of work in D.C., but we didn't really have a ground game in the states regarding public land protections and state legislative stuff that was going on. And so we realized we needed field organizers out in the States to organize people that are passionate about um, hunting, fishing, recreating outdoors, clean water, and, and bring those people to in contact with their elected leaders and um, people in the Forest Service, the BLM. And so that was originally called the Public Lands Initiative, and now it's the Angler Conservation Project. And so... Most of my work is sort of interfacing with federal land managers, state legislators, state agencies like Idaho Fish and Game and the Idaho Department of Lands, Governor's Office, in figuring out, you know, good policies that protect fish and wildlife and, and water. And so I spend a lot of my time in the spring we have a a legislative session every spring. So I am, uh, I sort of get in the phone booth uh, like Superman and throw on a suit and go down and and, uh, lobby at the legislature and try to make sure that fish are managed correctly. Um, They're getting the the proper amount of budget money from the state. And then also we've got folks that um, have decided that we don't need public lands and we should hand those over to the states or privatize them. And so a lot of the work we do is making sure that our public land legacy um, stays strong.
2: Absolutely. I can't imagine why people would think that public lands isn't important for someone who the only way I could go and recreate outside is by going on public lands. Like I don't have a lot of money. I don't have any private land to go fishing. And even this past weekend hunting, Um, I think it's just, I think that's so great, Michael, that you get to be the voice of the fish and also for the anglers and the people who want to enjoy the resources. That is our big backyard. Are, you said you were working on some policies. Is there one in particular that you're working on right now?
3: There's a lot of stuff. Um, I just got done yesterday, uh, submitting comments on a large mine proposal. That's just outside of McCall. It's a stone's throw from the Frank church, uh, the Stibnite mine, uh, a company called Midas gold has, um, Wants to remine an area. The place is kind of bombed out. It's been mined a couple, three times in the last century, and uh, they want to go back in and and basically remine. You know, they have better uh, processing facilities now, so they can get more gold out of ore than than they used to. So it makes sense for them to go back in and remine it. And it is just in. It is so far back off the beaten path that it's just a it's a it's a really awesome part of the world obviously there's some there's a lot of mine waste in there already they claim they're going to go in and and mine it and then leave it in better shape than they then they found it but there's just a lot of question marks on that so anyway it's at the headwaters of the south fork which feeds into the uh the south fork of the salmon excuse me there's i think four south forks <laughs> that everybody refers to in, in Idaho, uh, South fork of the salmon feeds into the, the salmon river. There's, there's salmon and steelhead in there. There's bull trout in there. There's cutthroat in there. So we've been, uh, we've been working hard the last couple months on comments on their, um, draft environmental impact statement. So that's one thing we're, we're starting to focus on quite a bit. And, um, and then as far as like state policies, you know, that's sort of a moving target. It changes every legislative session. In general, we have a pretty conservative majority in the legislature. It's a super majority actually. And so a lot of our work in the state legislature is is defense against public land uh, takeover stuff. It's making sure that fish and wildlife are still accessible to, to everyone. So, you know, it depends on the day you ask me what we're working on.
2: <laughs> yeah, so much to work on and so much is at stake. Have you had a project in the past where you've seen the outcomes uh, benefit um, anglers and the fisheries.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we have, uh, as TU, we we have a lot of success um, in that realm. I mean, we do, you know, our our project work, especially in the the upper salmon drainage in steelhead salmon country, have been huge for creating habitat for struggling. Steelhead and salmon runs. The problem is, uh, we've, we've done all the work now, and we're still not seeing huge fish numbers because they're having a hard time even getting to Idaho, which is why we started working in earnest on policy issues surrounding the lower snake dams. We just launched a, a big science report um, on the science behind dam removal on the lower snake and why we need a free-flowing snake for these fish. And so a lot of the work we do takes a really long time, but it all ties together. So we've got these these folks doing this great habitat work in the upper salmon and then we've got our policy crew, um, me included working on making sure those fish get there to use that. And so that's a that's a big campaign of ours. And we're hoping we can, the, the steelhead and salmon numbers right now are, are horrible. And so we got to do something and we have to do something quickly. We'll see how that goes, stay tuned.
2: Yeah, I mean, if nothing happens, Like, do you have a idea of how long it'll be till like the steelhead aren't going to be thriving at all anymore? Like if it doesn't happen soon?
3: I I wouldn't be able to put a time frame on it. I mean, it's, it all depends. There's people that say it's all about ocean conditions and not about the dams, but, you know, with climate change and, and, uh, and other things happening, I don't see the ocean conditions cycling up anytime soon. I mean, you know, they're going to cycle. There's going to be good years and bad years. Each bad year on the fish gets closer to the very bottom. Right. So we're trying to avoid the lonesome Larry scenario that happened with sockeye. And um, I I try to be a glass half full kind of guy that we're going to be able to pull something off. We'll see.
2: Well, it's amazing that there's an organization that's focusing on, Restoring these fisheries, having it be having access to it. I mean, I remember this was a while back, but um, like fracking. I think it was on the Green River. I can't be positive yeah. on that, but um, you know, the these companies come in like this is the safest thing we can do. We're going to go and frack this this right on this river and nothing's bad's going to happen, but we can't tell you what chemicals we're going to be using on this. We can't tell you uh, what kind of, how deep we're going, but we're going to frack and it's going to be safe. And then obviously it went sideways and it took a whole cleaning crew and it was based on Trout Unlimited going in there, fixing it, also having um, volunteers. And um, it's just Incredible, like how sensitive our ecosystem is, and if you're yeah. taking care yeah. of it, and we don't have mm. people like you on the foreground, like marching and taking these initiatives and going to the legislature and making policies. I mean, who knows what our future is going to be for our kids to access and, and and enjoy the outdoors?
3: Yeah, well, we have you know, I'm a, a big believer in Trout Unlimited and its mission. Obviously, that's my um uh, who I work for. And, and the reason I do is because of the work that they do. And we have, we have just a ton of great people across the country doing pretty unbelievable work. And you've got to, like in the case you were just talking to, uh, talking about on the green river, we're not opposed to energy development. We're not opposed to, um, a lot of things, but we are really focused on making sure that they happen in the right place and they're not impacting fisheries and that they're done right. And uh, we joke in our program, uh, the Angler Conservation Project, because we do all the policy work and and protection work, land protection campaigns. And we always say, if we do our job right, we're going to put the restoration biologists out of work. (laughs) Um, so I don't see that happening very soon. And there's a lot of stuff that happened well before there was even a Trout Unlimited that still needs to get cleaned up, unfortunately. But, you know, we're, we try to, we try to be focused and, and do campaigns that are reasonable, that don't, um, that don't shut out, um, opportunity for other stakeholders, whether it be ranchers or, folks that work on the land. Um, you know, we all drive cars. We know there has to be energy development, but we can do it in a sustainable way and a way that, that allows for development, but still protects our fisheries and our wildlife.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we're all in this world together and we all need to kind of work together. Even, you know, it's, it's not just our world, it's the fish's world. And, It's just all about being kind of kind and just kind of, um, because I think for me, when I'm on the river, you kind of actually forget about, what work goes behind it. When you're in it, you're like, oh, I love this. This is so beautiful. I'm in beautiful Montana. I'm fishing. I'm catching some beautiful fish. But then you kind of, you know, I actually never really take enough time to think about, wow, thanks to Trout Unlimited or, you know, other nonprofit organizations that focus on um, the environment and taking care of these fisheries. Like that's, that's the reason why I'm catching fish is because of the work that you and Trout Unlimited um, all commit to and your mission of just protecting and making it accessible. So I appreciate your work.
3: Well, thanks. It's uh, Sometimes you wonder if you're making a difference. Um, every day is a new day. So you just keep, keep banging away.
2: Yeah. That's all you can do. You got to just do it one step at a time, but I do know you're doing some amazing work, Michael, and you've been, always such a proponent for hunting, fishing, and um, yeah, I think it's, that takes a really strong person and um, to work for the the small people that don't really have a voice in it. I should say you're in Boise, Idaho. Um, Is there a favorite little spot you like to fish out there?
3: Yeah, probably my most favorite spot in Idaho is the Big Wood River. I've been fishing that uh, stream for a long time. Uh, let's see, Elizabeth and I go back to my wife. Um, we met in the early 90s, nine, <laughs> 90, and uh, started hanging out together uh, full time in 91, 92. And her folks live in Ketchum, Idaho. And so even when we were in Missoula, uh, we spent a lot of time uh, down in Ketchum, both in the in the summer and winter. And uh, so, I've fished the Big Wood a lot over the years, and it's just a it's it's a great river. It's it's a wading stream for the most part. I know some some folks uh, throw boats in on the lower end, but for the most part, it's a it's just got some great wade fishing. It's a spot that you know. It, it obviously Ketchum's a resort town, so there's a lot of people there. A lot of people come to fish in the summertime, um, and so it's it it gets hit pretty good. i Not not one to hot spot a place, but I don't think uh, it, the Big Wood River is a secret, so I don't mind talking. <laughs> and um, and so it's just a. a, a stream that I know really well. And it just, um, when we're, when we're up in Ketchum, I don't always get a ton of time to go fishing, but it's a spot where you can, you know, if you play your cards right and can get a two hour window. You can go get some really good fishing in, you know, I, I spent a number of years as a fishing guide. So, uh, 90% of my fishing when I was in Missoula was out of a boat. And, um, it's just nice to, Keep it simple and just grab your rod and and throw on a pair of uh, chacos on a nice warm summer day and go throw some grasshoppers around or something.
2: I forgot that you were a fishing guide, and I feel that as a fishing guide, did you ever... You must have had so many experiences on the river with the fishing. Like, Did you ever know, like, wow, my career is going to be protecting these fish? Or did you know while you were a guide, like, I want to be... I want to be working with um, Trout Unlimited.
3: My future. life was not that well thought out, Warren.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it just rolled. It just like unrolled itself. Yeah, if you were
3: to so, ask me, When I was a fishing guy, what I was going to do next, I would probably say, well, I'm going to clean my cooler and get ready for tomorrow. <laughs> so that was all a day to day existence. Um, I got into, um, I had sort of a circuitous uh, career path. I was uh, you know, I got out of school, became a fishing guide, uh, did that for a handful of years. I I went back to school to get my teaching certificate. I was going to be a, a teacher in the Missoula School District and a fishing guide in the summertime. That was my
2: That was the plan.
3: That was that was the plan. <laughs> Then I couldn't get a job as a teacher. The market in Missoula was horrible for teachers. This goes back to not really thinking out your career path. I uh when I got my teaching certificate, I was only able to get my biology endorsement because I was one semester I hadn't taken the second semester of physics.
2: Ooh. I hate this.
3: Short on credits for getting a broad field science endorsement, which in Montana, where you have all these really small schools, if you're the science teacher, you got to teach biology, you got to teach chemistry, you got to teach earth science, all that stuff. So they tend to hire broad field science endorsed teachers, not just a biology teacher.
2: Wow, I had no idea.
3: The reason I didn't take the second semester of, um, physics was because it was in the spring when we have the squala hatch in Missoula and the class to be at 11 o'clock on Monday through Friday every day. And I was like, it's <laughs> not going to fit into my fishing schedule.
2: see you're already a good biologist
3: and i went to the first week of class and realized that i was not going to get a good grade in (laughs) that i just gave up on my on physics but anyway so i went back to school got my teacher certificate was trying to get a job as a teacher doing substitute gigs and then uh, a job came along with a local production company company called barrett productions and I got hired just on random happenstance to be a coordinating producer for their hunting and fishing shows. And so I did that for a while. And one of the shows that we did during uh, my tenure there was Trout Unlimited Television, which was a great show. The, the host, Tim Linehan, super good guy, loved uh, producing that show and I got to meet all the folks um, that worked for TU and also our, the grassroots folks. We'd go do trips all over the country and, and meet um, volunteers that had done restoration projects. Um, and I just really uh, thought TU was a great organization. And then um, the local, the, the state council, Montana State Council of Trout Unlimited added a position uh, for an outreach director. And, um, one of the requirement, the job requirements, one of the bullets under job requirements was fishes and rows of (laughs) boats. So I was like, well, at least I got one covered (laughs) and I put my name in and I ended up getting the job. And that's, that's, I worked for the state council of Montana for, uh, almost nine years. And then, uh, Elizabeth and I relocated to Boise, she's a neonatal nurse practitioner and um, was trying to get in a little bigger market than, than Missoula offered. And so we, we looked around in the West and it was like Boise, uh, Denver, Salt Lake, uh, Albuquerque uh, were where we initially started looking and we got lucky and uh, her first interview was in Boise. So we ended up coming down here and I am um, Did some contract work. Uh, I was sort of what they call the trailing spouse. I didn't have, I just quit my job and moved down here and uh, did some contract work for the Idaho Wildlife Federation, ran a sportsman's campaign on on a uh, sort of a wilderness um, campaign up in uh, the Boulder White Clouds and this should open back up with TU. So that's where I'm at now.
2: Oh, and you're greatly missed in Missoula. I mean, I'm happy for you guys, and I think you guys are in a great location, but Missoula has missed some two amazing people who used to be part of this community. So, uh, Michael, if anybody's really interested in maybe their local chapter of Trout Unlimited, what's the best way of them reaching out to maybe you or the organization?
3: Um, well, we have a great website, tu.org. Easy to remember, short, short um URL. Um, that's got everything uh, you would need to become a member and find out different initiatives that Trout Unlimited is working on. We're really proud of a couple of newer links to that website, tu.org slash lower snake, um, is all of our information on our lower snake campaign to try to restore steelhead and salmon to Idaho. And then we just launched a new page on our legacy report for the Angler Conservation Program, which goes back to its inception um, and highlights uh, sort of our signature campaigns that we've been able to get um, across the finish line.
2: Well, before we sign off, I want to hear one more fishing story, because I know after so many years being on the river as a guide, Trout Unlimited, you have another one for me. And especially as being Justin's fishing buddy, too. I know you guys got more. Actually,
3: (laughs) I, I saved it. It's another Justin story. And you guys were down in Ketchum which was awesome. This was what, uh, three years ago now?
2: Yeah. During the smoke seat when it was so uh, smoky in Missoula. Yeah.
3: Refugees out of Montana and came down and we're hanging out and catch them. And so we came up and um, uh, since I moved here, Justin and I have always, you know, talked about getting on the South fork. I think he fished it producing a show with Jed A number of years back and he was always like we gotta go float the south fork so we got up that morning and you guys had that jeep that was um (laughs) so crappy Jeez! and so we were gonna our first idea was to hook the trailer to the jeep and tow the jeep and uh the the boat down to mountain home to the dealership and then go float the south fork and then go back and pick up the jeep somehow that that plan fell through so we ended up having to get the jeep towed to mountain home and so we we did that and then headed to the south fork and um you know it was just one of those days where it just seemed like getting on the river was not gonna happen but somehow we pulled it off and from the start of the day all the way to the end we were throwing big hoppers that day, like big hoppers, and um, we had fish coming up all day long. Went into a, to a uh, a little back channel. I remember uh, Justin caught this beautiful brown trout. As he was landing that fish, I finally hooked the fish I was fishing for, and ended up I took a picture of him with his fish while I was landing this fish I had <laughs> known how big this fish was! I would not have been fooling around and taking a picture just. <laughs> so I landed that fish and ended up being just think probably maybe not lengthwise, but it was the biggest trout I've caught in the in a in a river. Caught some big ones in in ponds and lakes and stuff, but it was just a huge red band, and it was just. I don't know, that day, just every every time I think about that day, I got a whole string of pictures in my phone, and it, it was one of those days where when we, we were dealing with the car troubles early in the morning, you know, I was just like, I don't think this is going to happen today. I just really don't think it's going to happen, and it ended up being you know, just one of those days that sticks out. Um, weather was beautiful. And then I think we came home and, and had a great day. just ended up being a, a great day that I'll remember.
2: Yeah. You know, it's so funny though. I think me and Elizabeth, your wife were getting kind of angry because we thought that you purposely decided to, to dra- drag the, car to mountain home so you guys could go fishing on that specific river because we're like <laughs> they said they were gonna go fishing closer and they're leaving us with a baby and a kid in the smoke and we think they just wanted to trail that car like you just you decided purposely to, to like to trail with that jeep all the way there to go fishing
3: <laughs> i seem to recall a few angry <laughs> and then the 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 thing about the South Fork is once you go down in the canyon, there is no cell service. Until yes. It's you know, where we're like, okay, we're going to be out of service for a little while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
2: then you guys got off the river and it was like, ding, ding, yeah. ding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we saw yeah. The pictures, obviously super happy. And now it makes good for a podcast. So um, I guess it comes full circle.
3: You know, I mean, that was one of uh, Justin and I's more successful outings. We've had a few where it, uh, especially bird hunting, where um, they they sometimes go awry.
2: And the awry ones are the ones that are most memorable. But it's also like when you are with a good friends catching amazing fish. That's even that that's the icing on the cake.
3: Yeah, it was it was a pretty cool day. I'll definitely remember it for a long time.
2: Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Michael. And I appreciate the work that you and Trout Unlimited are doing to keep our waters public and keeping the fish protected. And um, yeah, I definitely going to keep an eye out. And also I have to say, just look at your local chapters because sometimes they have fundraisers and the best way to maybe support your organizations is by going there, try and put some money down on some cool artwork and that you know, that all goes towards to protecting the waters that you love in your neighborhood. So thank you again.
3: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And, um, I would just tell folks, yeah. Um, find your local chapter, stay informed, get involved. Uh, we need everyone's voices, uh, especially on public lands protection and definitely for clean water and fish.